0: by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police police arrived, they found the
0: telephones and electricity lines. We have a...
1: A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird
0: morning cup of murder. Sometimes a guilty party dies before victims and their loved ones can ever get real answers. On February 19th, 1987, a woman escaped, and with her went any chance for closure for those affected by her crimes. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Audrey Marie Hilly, born Audrey Frazier on June 4, 1933, grew up in the Blue Mountain area of Anniston, Alabama, and when she was just 12 years old, she met a man named Frank Hilly. Though he was a junior in high school when he met Audrey, by the time he graduated, he was absolutely head over heels for the much younger girl, and against her parents' wishes, she too found herself falling for the older boy. Frank didn't come from money, but what he lacked in financial stability, he made up for by treating Audrey like a queen. Like most young couples, their relationship was filled with dramatic fights and even more dramatic makeups. And when Frank enlisted in the Navy and went to leave for his station in Guam, he pinned his girlfriend and promised that they would be together again. The time away was unbearable for the couple, so when Frank came back on leave... He and Audrey married on May 8, 1951. Staying behind to finish school, Audrey said goodbye once again as Frank made his way to California to finish his stint. And after graduation, she joined him during his reassignment to Boston in 1952. Things seemed to be going incredibly well for the newlyweds, and towards the end of Frank's tour of duty, they found out that Audrey was pregnant with their first child, and moved back to Anniston to be closer to family once he was discharged. While Frank worked in a shipping department and Audrey worked as a secretary, Michael Hilly was born on November 11, 1952. From the outside looking in, the Hillies had everything that most dreamed of: love, a home, jobs, financial stability, and a brand new baby to dote on. However, behind closed doors, Frank struggled to keep up with money because it seemed like, every single time he made some, Audrey went off and spent it. While there is nothing wrong with a little spending, it seemed that Audrey did so much that the family was heading straight for some serious problems, and despite their many little arguments over the subject, she didn't seem like she was going to stop anytime soon, and Frank, who did not like to fight with her, just tried to keep his wife happy. In 1960, the same year that Carol Hilly, the couple's second child, was born, Frank had been appointed foreman at the Standard Foundry, and Audrey, with quite the positive reputation, excelled at being an executive secretary. Their household income increased, but so it seemed did her spending. And not only was she steadily putting the family in debt, but while her employers had nothing but wonderful things to say about their secretary— Audrey's co-workers didn't view her in such a positive light. In fact, at some point, she became so unpopular amongst those workers that, feeling ganged up on, she decided to leave her job and search for another. Since she had such glowing recommendations from her bosses, she had no trouble finding a new job, and though she seemed to hop from office to office, she always found herself working for some of the most powerful men in Anniston, Alabama. Described by some as, quote, high-strung and peculiar, Audrey took the money she and her husband earned and made sure to shower her two children with everything they could ever want, doing so in lieu of actually spending time with them and giving them the attention that they craved. Now, in addition to the outward issues she was having, especially within her marriage, Frank would often describe the way he had to hold his restless wife as she shook throughout the night instead of going to sleep. These particular problems began after the birth of her daughter, and with more modern eyes, psychiatrists looking into the case believed that Carol's birth triggered a drastic and uncontrollable change within Audrey Hilly. That, of course, went untreated. While Audrey began taunting her husband with love letters that she received from other men, her spending increased. She rented a P.O. box to make sure Frank did not see the bills, and took out a loan from businesses that, knowing her husband was a good man who paid things on time, extended a credit to her out of courtesy. Because these people knew Mr. Hilly so well, when the accounts came past due, the creditors took notice. By the fall of 1974, Frank could no longer ignore his wife's actions. And around the time word of her credit made its way back to him through the grapevine, he came home sick one day and found Audrey in bed with her employer, Walter Clinton. What he did not know was that, according to the sources, Audrey had for years been engaging in sex with her employers in exchange for some extra money or for positive performance reviews. Frank confided in his son, who by now was married and attending college, and told him about the downfalls of their marriage. But what he did not disclose to Mike was that his own health was failing as well. A complete mystery, both Frank and Mike Kelly suffered from what doctors claimed, was nothing but a stomach flu. Symptoms that all disappeared when Mike went off to attend a seminary. Frank, however, wasn't so lucky. Ailment persisting, Frank was admitted to the hospital in May of 1975, and when tests were done, they indicated that there was some sort of malfunction of the liver and he was diagnosed with infectious hepatitis. Never recovering, he passed away the morning of May 25th. An autopsy was performed with Audrey's permission, and once looking at Frank's organs, they found that his kidneys and lungs were swollen, his stomach inflamed, and that he was suffering from bilateral pneumonia. Because all of this closely mirrored what happened when someone had hepatitis, that's what was listed as Frank Hilly's cause of death. No further tests were conducted, and his wife Audrey walked away with an insurance payout of $31,140. Though some of that money came from a modest policy that Frank took out himself, the rest came from the one that Audrey secretly took out when he first started showing signs of illness. Going straight to spending, she purchased herself a car, clothing, jewelry, and a diamond ring for her mother. She sent in appliances to Mike and his wife and got a car, stereo, and furniture for her daughter Carol. While this seemed to be everything she always wanted, spending unburdened by her husband, those closest to Audrey noted her increasing restlessness and her overall dissatisfaction. Claiming no one in her family actually loved her, she seemed to find herself in constant battles of will with Carol. Just three years after the death of her husband, Audrey took out another insurance policy, and when the $25,000 policy went into effect, In August of 1978, Carol found herself plagued by nausea just a few months later. Going to the hospital several times, after a year of battling the mystery illness, Audrey gave her daughter an injection that, she claimed, would alleviate the nausea. Things only got worse. Her extremities went numb, and her doctor, believing her symptoms were all psychosomatic, sent her to a psychiatrist for testing. While there, Carol secretly received two more injections and warned not to tell anyone. A month after arriving at the hospital, her physician noted that she was suffering from malnutrition and vitamin deficiencies. Suspecting heavy metal poisoning was to blame, Audrey suddenly discharged Carol, and the following day, she arrived and was admitted to the University of Alabama hospital instead. Around this time, Audrey found herself in handcuffs for writing bad checks, the ones that she was sending to the insurance company. Carol's policy lapsed, and the new physician started to investigate the possibility that she was suffering from heavy metal poisoning. That's when they noticed Aldrich Mee's lines under Carol's nails and sent in samples of her hair for forensic testing. On October 3rd, 1979, the results came in, and determined that the girl's arsenic levels ranged from over 100 times the normal level close to her scalp, and zero times closer to the bottom of her hair, meaning that over a period of the last four to eight months, someone had been steadily poisoning Carol Hilly. Realizing that a crime had been committed, Frank Hilly's body was exhumed, and upon examination, he showed between 10 times to 100 times the normal level of arsenic in his system. Already incarcerated for the bad checks, Audrey was rearrested on October 9th for the attempted murder of her daughter, and police, in searching her belongings, found a vial in her purse that tested positive for the presence of arsenic. Two weeks later, Frank Hilly's sister found a jar of rat poisoning, which, of course, contained arsenic. On November 9th, Audrey Hilly was released on bail and registered her location at a local motel under an assumed name. She soon disappeared and left behind a note indicating that she, quote, might have been kidnapped. On November 19th, there was a break-in at the home of her aunt, and a car, some clothing, and an overnight bag were stolen from the property. Leaving behind a note that read, Do not call police. We will burn you out if you do. We found what we wanted and will not bother you again. On January 11th, 1980, Audrey was indicted for the murder of her husband in absentia, and it was later found that both her mother and mother-in-law had significant, but not fatal, traces of arsenic in their system. Figuring out the scope of her crimes, the remains of Sonia Marcel Gibson, an 11-year-old friend of Carol's, was exhumed, and when examined, they found that her body contained the, quote, normal amount of arsenic. They did learn, however, that a number of neighborhood children had grown ill after drinking beverages provided to them in the Hilly home. There was also the police officers, called to the home to look into a disturbance, who accepted coffee from the kind Mrs. Hilly and found themselves with nausea and stomach cramps. But it was impossible to determine if this was coincidence or a number of failed attempts at murder. While investigators continued to try and build a case against her, the FBI launched a massive manhunt to find Audrey Marie Hilly. While on the run, Audrey made her way to Florida, where she met a man named John Greeley Homan III. Using a fake name, the pair began a relationship, moved in together, and got married on May 29, 1981. Moving to New Hampshire, Audrey, using the name Robbie, always talked about her sister, quote, Terry, who lived in Texas. Then one day during the summer of 1982, Robbie told her husband that she needed to tend to some family business and left New Hampshire. Traveling to Texas and Florida using the alias Terry Martin, she at some point during her trip called John Homan and speaking as his sister-in-law, Terry, told him that Robbie had died in Texas, but there was no need to come pay his respects because her body was donated to medical science. He then spent some time getting to know Terry, and when he expressed interest in meeting her, she agreed and told him that he needed to put her sister's death behind him. Well, in November of 1982, Terry showed up, and having changed her hair and lost weight, John welcomed his sister-in-law into his home. Having put Robbie Homan's obituary in the New Hampshire newspaper, John's co-workers became suspicious of Terry as the police, unable to verify any of the details of her death, started to look into Robbie's life a little bit. With one of the concerned co-workers contacting the Medical Research Institute, where Robbie's body was allegedly donated, and finding out that it, like the church she was eulogized in, didn't exist, the police, now believing that Robbie Homan and Terry Martin were one and the same, wrongfully believed that her real identity was that of a fugitive bank robber Carol Manning. Terry was arrested and while being interrogated, she told the officers that she was wanted in Alabama on bad check charges and that her real name was Audrey Marie Hilly. Realizing that the check writing was the smallest of her charges, she was quickly extradited back to Alabama to stand trial for attempted murder and murder. Convicted and sentenced to life in prison for Frank's murder and 20 more years for the attempted murder of her daughter, Carol, Audrey began serving her sentence in 1983. And due to her career, she was assigned to file paperwork inside the maximum security prison. Considered the model prisoner, in February of 1987, she was granted a three-day pass to go visit her husband, John Homan, who had recently moved to Alabama to be closer to her. After a day with him in a motel, When John left for a few hours on February nineteenth, 1987, Audrey disappeared and left behind a note asking for his forgiveness. He quickly called the police and four days later, she was found completely delirious on the back porch of a home in Anniston. Less than a mile away from where she was born, the woman who found her described Audrey as scary, dirty, and with long fingernails. She called the police and Audrey was quickly taken to the hospital. On the way there, she suddenly suffered from convulsions and lost consciousness completely. Doctors determined that she had had a heart attack and attempted to revive her. They were ultimately unsuccessful. She was pronounced dead on February 26, 1987, just three and a half hours after she was found. The coroner claimed that they believed that she had been crawling around the woods for days and had been drenched by the rainfall, only to be exposed to freezing temperatures at night. Audrey Marie Hilly maintained her innocence until the day she died, and often complained of blackouts and memory lapses. She remains a suspect in a number of cases, and her true motive remains unknown. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear a terrible thing happened on February 20th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it.